Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are revisiting themes that we've seen already through the course of our study of the 16 verses that are the story of the Bible. These two themes that we'll see today are the themes redemption and substitution. In perhaps one of the most beautiful Old Testament gospel promises, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, we see God's great love, his great willingness to sacrifice his one and only son for us. The story of the Bible in 16 verses today leads us to Jesus, our substitute. I know every time I put something like this on the board, I'm kind of dating myself, but perhaps some of you remember the Hunger Games movies, or maybe you read the books. And if you remember the first movie, The Hunger Games, you probably just with this one picture can remember the scene. Right there they are in District 12, and somebody has to go and participate in The Hunger Games. And Katniss, girl pictured on the screen, her younger sister is chosen to be the one to go to participate. You might remember what Katniss does. The words are on the screen. I volunteer. I volunteer to be tribute. She volunteers to take her sister's place, to put her own self in harm's way so that her sister would be spared. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul write, wrote this, Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Isn't it the ultimate act of selflessness? When someone else says, I'll take your place, I'll be the one to suffer your punishment. Parents can relate to this. When you see your children suffering or sick, You'd almost do anything to take their place, to be the one that suffered instead of them. Doesn't that give us an even deeper appreciation for what Jesus was willing to do for us? We weren't righteous. We weren't people that God could look down from heaven and say, yep, those are the ones that I want to take the place of, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And Isaiah prophesied it. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came into this world, the Messiah, Isaiah said, was going to come who would take the place of all people. On the basis of these words today, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, we'll see Jesus, our substitute. And quite simply, Isaiah simply tells us this, it's Jesus who took our punishment. And through the punishment that Jesus took, we are restored, we are Redeemed. Just a little bit of historical review to see how we got to where we are today. Isaiah prophesied nearly 700 years before Jesus was born, and Isaiah's work among God's people was not always a pleasant task. As a matter of fact, he often prophesied judgment and difficulty for God's people. You see, Isaiah had watched as in the year 722 B.C., the Assyrian army had come to carry off God's people, Israel, into captivity, leaving only the tribe of Judah behind. There was good reason for that judgment. And Isaiah's prophecy contains words of warning to the people of Judah as well, that unless something changes, unless 
they turn from their disobedience, they too will face God's judgment. How did we get here? Vicar mentioned at the start of the sermon, the service that last week's sermon focused on this beautiful promise given to David and to his son Solomon that a king was going to reign on that throne forever. It didn't take long to see that Solomon wasn't the king that God promised. His heart was led astray by the many wives that he had, and much false worship of God's was permitted in Israel. It led to a split in the kingdom. Following Solomon, there were two distinct kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel to the north, the kingdom of Judah to the south. And for 300 or so years, 40, a little more than 40 kings, ruled those two places, Israel and Judah, most of whom were not God-pleasing, most of whom had kingdoms and kingships that were a dishonor to God. The worship of false gods dominated the religious scene, particularly the gods Baal and Asherah. They failed. The kings failed. The people failed. And Isaiah prophesied that that failure meant that God's judgment was coming. Maybe we could take a step back and scratch our heads a little bit and look at all of God's promises to the Old Testament people and, and ask ourselves, how could this happen? How could they, when ev with everything that God had done for them, turn their backs on him? Maybe hold on to that thought for a few moments. This is the beauty of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53. In the midst of the judgment that he prophesied, there was also prophecy about hope and deliverance. Listen again to those two verses, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A couple of weeks ago, in Vicar's sermon on the Passover lamb, we talked about the idea of sacrifice, that the people needed to sacrifice a year-old lamb, perfect, use the blood to spread on the doorposts and door frames of the houses so that they could be saved. That was just one animal sacrifice that God required of his Old Testament people. And it was supposed to be repeated year after year. Did you know that the people of Israel were also required to make daily sacrifices of animals? Once in the morning and once in the evening? Why? Why all of these sacrifices over and over and over again? Because they simply were not enough. They were not enough to take away people's sins. Yes, those animals served as substitutes for God's people, but they couldn't permanently remove the stain of sin. That's what makes Isaiah's prophecy such a special prophecy. What God is talking about is a one-time substitute, someone who is going to come once, and that one sacrifice was going to pay not just for sins for a short time, but for every sin of all time. Jesus was coming. The Messiah was coming as the perfect sacrifice. I want you just to hear, again, the pronouns 
in those two verses. I'll go back and put it on the board again, and I'll read it with a little different emphasis this time. Just listen to how God demonstrates the substitution of Jesus, our Savior. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see the beauty in that verse? What God was accomplishing, what God was sending this Messiah who was going to be the one who took the place of all people, whose sacrifice was going to be good once for all. He took on himself our punishment. That's what Isaiah was prophesying. A savior from sin, once and for all. Might I suggest that if there's one section of the Bible, one passage that you want to commit to memory, one verse from these 16 verses that are the story of the Bible that you could file away, it might be these verses from Isaiah 53. There's so much comfort, so much beauty packed into this gospel promise that God gave through the prophet Isaiah. Some have even called this section of the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this section of Isaiah because it's filled with God's good news for you and for me. Even in the way Isaiah wrote his prophecy, he's highlighting these two verses. It's kind of an amazing thing, actually. Although there weren't chapters and verses that were written down when the Bible was written by Isaiah, he didn't write, this is chapter 1, this is chapter 2. Those numbers and the verse numbers were added later. It's pretty easy to read through the book of Isaiah and see the division that that book has and how chapter 53 is really the highlight of the entire book. Did you know, for instance that the book of Isaiah divides nicely into 66 chapters? Did you know that that's how many books of the Bible there are? 66? Did you know that there are 39 books in the Old Testament and book one of Isaiah runs from chapter one through chapter 39? A section of Isaiah that is mostly about the coming doom with some prophecy mixed in? Did you know that there are 27 books of the Bible in the New Testament and 27 chapters in the second book of Isaiah? A book that starts with these two words, comfort, comfort, my people. Here's one of the amazing things about how the Hebrew language worked, how Hebrew would highlight certain things in writings. They were often put in the middle, either in the middle of a verse or in the middle of a section. And I'm not great at math, but 40 to 66 means that the middle chapter of the second book of Isaiah is chapter 53. And can you guess by now what the middle verse of the middle chapter of Isaiah 53 is? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what God wants to highlight for you in the book of Isaiah. What he has done to save you and me, that the promise made 
way back in the Garden of Eden was going to be fulfilled in the Messiah that was coming and now has been fulfilled in our Savior Jesus, who took our place. The New Testament speaks very clearly about Jesus in this very way, read earlier by Vicar in our second lesson. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yes, in Jesus we have our substitute. Over the centuries, there has been questions about who is being described here in Isaiah 53, about whom is Isaiah speaking. There are four such servant songs in Isaiah. One in chapter 42, another in 49, another in 50, and then the one that we read for today. In each one of those servant songs, we get a narrower and narrower focus about whom God is speaking, about whom the prophet is foretelling. And when we get to chapter 53, it becomes very clear that God is speaking about a person, almost hearing echoes, don't you, of Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent would strike his heel. Here we have Jesus. Jesus is the one who would go to the cross, who would be pierced for our transgressions, who would be crushed for our iniquities. But his punishment brought us peace. You see, more than, than just a representative of a certain group of people or a nation, Jesus is exactly what God knew we needed, exactly what God sent so that you and I could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we belong to him and our heirs of eternal life. Jesus came with one purpose in mind, to seek and to save the lost, to redeem us, to restore us, to bring us back to God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. He was willing to take himself all the way to a cross, the most unimaginable way to be tortured and killed, all to take your place and mine. If there's questions about whom Isaiah 53 is referencing, the New Testament helps us see the truth of that prophecy. Take a look at how Peter uses Isaiah 53 and weaves it into these two verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. Every quotation that you see on the board comes from Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter leaves no doubt that the suffering servant, the one who came as our substitute, is Jesus. And Jesus did everything necessary to save you and me. That's the theme that runs through these 16 verses that we're looking at to demonstrate the story of the Bible, redemption. That God restores, that he calls back, that he brings back and buys back his people. And just like the people of Judah, we needed that Savior desperately. Those words, we all like sheep have gone astray, we can relate to those words too, can't we? A few minutes ago, I asked you to hold on to that thought of how could they? 
Because the same thing could be said about you and me. How could we? How could we, when we know God's promises, still wander from him? Still go our own way? Maybe it's not the false gods like Baal that we worship. Maybe we substitute a bank account for Baal, an entertainment for Asherah. Whatever it is that draws our, us away from our God, it's too easy for us to be tripped up by those kind of things. You see, we need the very Savior that God promised just as much as the people of Judah and anyone else. And that's what God provided. He laid on Jesus your sins and mine. Did you notice in verse 6 that there are two alls, one at the beginning and one at the end? I want you just to consider this for a moment, how beautiful those two alls in this verse are. All we like sheep have gone astray. Maybe it brings to mind the Apostle Paul's words to the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. But God didn't stop there. He didn't say, you failed and the story's over. No, the verse continues. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see the comfort in those two alls, those two words? That all of us have wandered, but all of us have sins who have been laid on Jesus reminds us that yes, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sin, that we are forgiven. That all reminds us that we have certainty of who we are as we stand before God, redeemed and restored. And that all reminds us that we have an eternal future, a future that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt our salvation with our Lord forever in heaven. Takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus is the one sacrifice for sin needed to forgive all sins. That's the one sacrifice that paid for everything. We can't bring anything to God, but God has brought his son to us. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross we claim. Number two, God... God rescued us by placing our sins on Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds, we are healed. And then number three, because Jesus served as our substitute, we are certain we are going to heaven. This verse, Isaiah 53, is your assurance that God is waiting for you, that he has a place with you, that you know right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the joy of eternal life and you will rejoice with him forever. thought a lot about that word substitute this week because I'm afraid in the way that we use the word substitute, it doesn't always give the accurate, accurate picture. So I'm not going to speak for you. I will just tell you my own experience. But I remember going through school and having substitute teachers. And without getting into great detail, I can tell you they weren't the same as having the real thing. Or maybe we think of a substitute or subs who aren't quite as good as the starters who are out on the court or the field. And so they start the game on the bench only to come in later, right? If that's your picture of the word substitute, if that's what comes to mind when you hear that word, then that's not who Jesus is. 
Because Jesus is completely different. He's the perfect substitute. He's the only one who could have taken our place, and he did exactly that. Going to the cross to pay for your sins and mine, rising from the dead to guarantee our salvation, we have what God wants us to have. Peace and joy and life with him forever in heaven. Jesus is our perfect substitute. We couldn't ask for anything or anyone more. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.